0: Hello, everybody. You are listening to the Chaos and Shadow podcast. My name is Kyle, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Pagan. Pagan, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing very good. Thank you for asking. We are joined here by Jason Mankey, author of The Horn God of the Witches and of Llewellyn's Little Book of Yule. Oh, Jason, I love it. You grab the books, too.
1: We're twinning now. <laughs> you can you can see it is very little. I mean, it is, it is
2: very uh, little. It's adorable. I love all of the little books. I love that we're
0: totally twinning with these. These are gorgeous books, Jason. We're so glad to have you on the show. Uh, our friends at Llewellyn have been supplying us with some of your awesome content. We're in love with it. I've got the Horn God of the Witches over on Audible as well. I've been binging mm-hmm. through this lately. Uh, this content is just absolutely awesome, and we want to introduce you to the audience. So, Jason, could you start off? We're going to ask you some generic questions, so just prepare yourself. But what got you (laughs) in to the occult authoring world? What brought you to where you are today?
1: Well, for the authoring world, it had always been a dream of mine to write books. I thought I'd probably write fantasy books, but I can't string together a plot. So when I converted to... Uh, Wiccan witchcraft in, I think I was 21. So this is in the mid nineties. Eventually I thought, wow, I'd I'd love to be like one of those authors with a moon on the spine of their books. You know, I'd love (laughs) to write a Llewellyn book. And I did try to write a Llewellyn book about 2004, 2005. I submitted an early version of what would become this, the Horn God of the Witches, which they promptly rejected because I wasn't really quite ready to write a book, but I started blogging and I wrote a blog and I still have this blog. Blog just feels like a word from like two thousand seven, doesn't right, it? Like right, who says right. blog anymore? But anyways, I have a blog called Raise the Horns, and I, you know, it was on Pathios Pagan, and a lot of people read it. And one of the people who read it was an acquisitions editor for Llewellyn, who sent me an email like, "Will you write a book for us?" And that's how I started. Really, I uh, kind of had given up almost, and then they were like, "Just will you do this?" And I did this happy dance around my house. Then my wife comes home from work and she's like, How much is that going to cost me? <laughs> Which I thought was a hilarious thing to say, but it's kind of true because pagan authors, we don't really make a lot of money. Um, yeah, so that was sort of the beginning. And then from there, the writing bug kind of hits. And I was like, Had an idea for a second book and had an idea for a third book. And at this point, I've written nine for Llewellyn. This is the eighth book. The Witch's Book of Spellcraft comes out in March. It's <gasps> all since. 2016 so it's moved very very quickly but i had been talking for years doing lectures and i love that much more than writing but uh writing is kind of a means to an end to be able to go out and talk to people and do things like this i also like doing podcasts authors i think love hearing themselves talk
0: <laughs> i we we love hearing authors talk we we yes. love this and i'm i'm adding to my wish list right now is basically what's going on because you're just stuff <laughs> out so uh, what's this? March 8th of 2022 is the date I'm seeing on the Witch's Book of Spellcraft. That cover mm-hmm. is phenomenal, Jason. I love that already.
1: I did all the artwork myself. picked the font. Oh, wow. None of That's true. But they do all that.
0: It just I mean, it literally looks stellar. I cannot wait to get my hands on it. magic of candles, crystals, plants and herbs. Well, yeah. I love practical guides.
2: So, I'm gonna have to add that to my list as well, because you know it's, your other books are so good. It's like now I'm like you're like a Pokemon. I have to get get all the books
1: you know I feel <laughs> like I need to send you all a check for how nice you, are. <laughs> you know.
2: I mean, all all
1: we all we
0: ask for and what all that Llewellyn provides is just such great connections with people, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, this this sounds like I'm taking this out of the hallmark, like playbook of of words. But seriously, we meet so many cool people like you, Jason, and and it's through many different circles um, that we've run into for these last years in the occult and paranormal communities that we've been introduced time and time again. Uh, And uh, the idea of the content you're putting out there, too, is something I'm in love with. If you're working on practical books, those especially speak to me as someone that's new to Spellcraft, new to discovering my witchy side of things. Anytime someone's putting out a practical guide or like Llewellyn's Little Book of series, those are such like accessible shortcuts in a way for someone that's just picking up the practice and kind of trying to learn the bones of it. You can go miles and miles deep when researching history. Like I think you do in the Horn God of the witches, mm-hmm. but when you're just popping in, these are so useful and I can't wait to put like tons of this little book of you into practice this year.
1: For me, when I write a book, I usually want to write the book that I wish I'd had 20 years ago. Love it. You know, it's like, I didn't have this question answered, so I'm going to write a book about it. There's never really been a book about the Horn God from a major publisher. So, you know, that wasn't one of those things I wish I'd had 20 years ago. You know, sometimes to get the things that you want, you have to do them yourself. So, you know, I write books to answer my own questions a lot of the time.
2: I think that's spectacular. And I, I want to say that you mentioned that in The Horn God. Either you or Laura Tim DeZakroff mentioned that in one of their books, that they wrote this book because there was not the book that they needed when they were starting out. Um, either way, it, it's just absolutely wonderful. I'm so glad that you wrote it. I am thrilled that you put so much amazing stuff in that book. Uh, between the literature, the history, connecting so many different archetypes of the horned god into it it was just it, it is a masterpiece i'm not trying to be like absolutely <laughs> you know um, blow and smoke up your butt but it, truthfully it is absolutely probably one of the best books i've read this year
1: i was really happy with how it turned out and i will admit you know sometimes when i'm writing things i'm like wow this is terrible you know like you're always your own worst critic mm-hmm. but when i got this book back I just couldn't put it down <laughs> once I had it in my hands again. There's something about holding the book that you've written and seeing it mm-hmm. published and printed and laid out with this nice font and something that's not a word document. It just makes it real. And going through the Horn God, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm pleased as punch with it. The rest of my books, there's always things where I really think I got, you know, maybe I got a, a fact wrong here or there or something, or didn't write a paragraph as clearly as I would have liked. But this book really hit everything that I really wanted it to hit. The publisher asked me to trim some things down. Like, my editor's like, the Krampus section is way too long. It's three and a half pages, and I think that could be shorter. I'm like, no, it can't be shorter. It's the Krampus. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: i personally I mean, really enjoyed the the take on Lucifer in the book myself mm-hmm. um, as someone that's always been drawn to that kind of archetype that one in particular as pagan and i see and talk about in chaos and shadow a lot is uh w- we get these ideas in the mainstream about demons and the devil and everything's this that and the other and it all gets construed it all turns into people just swearing it whatever what they perceive as demons in a corner this is a really good take on what lucifer the light bringer is versus some other approaches and how they intertwine like i really appreciated the background that's provided in this book uh which was one that's kind of sorely missing i think in general when we approach lucifer and the devil role like there's just accessible books like yours uh just don't seem to have it and if you're not willing to go into these deep archaic tomes i I don't know how you're going to get other opinions on it so that chapter alone just really blew me away really dug it
1: when you look at like the bestsellers in the witchcraft category a lot of them are still books from the 80s -hmm. and early 90s i mean it's Mm -hmm. scott cunningham it's ray buckland and while that's not that long ago i think there are still things that we've forgotten from that period of time and one of those things is the satanic panic that gripped mm-hmm. America in the 80s and into the early 90s. Most people are familiar with the West Memphis Three, who were victims of satanic panic, you know, because Damien Eccles, you know, was interested in Wicca. He obviously was a satanist and was a murderer, right? Um, and people were still in jail during satanic panic as recently as 2010 for crimes mm-hmm. that just did not happen. So any connection between the horn god and figures like the Christian devil and Lucifer, I think were intentionally downplayed because people were really worried about satanic panic. Uh, So this book, I think we're in a little bit better of a place, so I wanted to make sure to include it. Also, if you are interested at all in traditional witchcraft, and traditional witchcraft, kind of a difficult term to always uh, describe and to define, but a lot of those people who say, I'm a traditional witch, they're really interested in the writings of Margaret Murray, who wrote The Witch Cult in Western Europe, about the what we call often today the burning times or the period when witches were being executed for being witches. And they're very much influenced by that. So we're in this era where it's much more common to sort of talk about the horn god in conjunction with a figure that people had conflated with the Christian devil. Also with traditional witchcraft, one of the founders of that tradition, an Englishman named Robert Cochrane, he was really interested in the idea of fallen angels where mm-hmm. we get ideas like Lucifer and stuff. So it's sort of come back into public consciousness in the last 10 years in a way where it wasn't there before. So, yeah, I'm really proud of those chapters. I think they turned out really well. I expected a lot of criticism for them. Like when I got my first reviews on places like Amazon, I really expected that witches don't ever worship the devil sort of, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> you know, I've really, and I got that in a few places but it wasn't as loud as I thought it was, which is nice. And we're much more comfortable with it uh, than we are today than we were like 20, 30 years ago.
2: Yes, absolutely. And I also have to say, thank you so much for putting a really hefty section in there about the wild hunt. Yeah. I That was just a whole section that has been missing, I think from witchcraft books for so long. It's just been kind of danced around for so long and you did it beautifully. You put such a wonderful practical section in there. And I was so like, I squeed when I read that. I was like, oh my God, he did it. Yay.
1: <laughs> you know, I had a list of things I wanted to write about in the book because I thought if I'm writing a book about the Horn God, these are going to be questions that people have. These are going to be the kind of things that people want to read about. And one of them was definitely the wild hunt. And I'm really indebted to Ronald Hutton. I'd love Ronald Hutton who wrote Triumph of the Moon which was the first history of modern witchcraft. And it came mm-hmm. out in 1990. But in 2016, he wrote a book called The Witch. And it's about how people have used the word witch over the centuries. But there's a big section in that book on the wild hunt which with some of the best up-to-date scholarly sources and stuff. And it was really sort of mind-blowing to me because before that, all that you really ever read about the wild hunt was what was said by Jacob Grimm in the mm-hmm. 19th century. And that's kind of where everything stopped. So... I'm really, I got to read The Witch at just the right time to make sure I could get some of it into our book, into my book. But also, one of the great things about the Wild Hunt, though, is that that idea is constantly reimagined, too. And Mm -hmm. when I go to pagan festivals, I'll hear people like, yeah, we're having our Wild Hunt tonight. And it's always just a little bit different than somebody else's Wild Hunt, which I think is great because ideas change and evolve and people use them to better themselves. And usually that's what people do with the Wild Hunt type rituals.
2: That's awesome. That's so awesome. I love it.
0: Well, I, I have some questions here uh, leading into the little book, little book of Yule as I'm looking at it and I'm leafing through it. I'm sorry we're bopping back and forth between the two, but these are just phenomenal books that we really want our audience to get in their hands. Uh, in this book, Jason, you put together a really good history leading up into the holiday for folks uh putting together how it morphed into what we're practicing currently but gives a lot of different ways you can build a foundational holiday of your own i feel and so i was wondering if you could talk to our audience today some things that they can put into their festivities for this season what are things you feel like might be missing out of um the average, which is Yule season. What's something they could do maybe to spruce up if they're feeling a little lackluster this season?
1: Wow. Uh, that's a really tough question. We Sorry. went from history to, to sprucing things up. I mean, of course you can get a spruce, get there a nice pine, get that in your house. <laughs> that's always good. Uh, you know what I love about Yule and the, and this book, was not really written for witches. So it's very different than a lot of my other books. Like the Llewellyn's little book of Yule series or little book series Mm -hmm. is written for anybody who's interested in magic. And a lot of different types of people practice magic and are looking for that. So it's not necessarily written for a strict witch audience. So it includes like a lot of kind of things that most people would associate with Christmas and all that. But for me, what I love about this season And to me, Yule is a a season with a lot of different things going on is it seems like it's something that everybody shares. I mean, if you look at Christmas, half of the shit in Christmas or more really comes from ancient pagan celebrations. Mm -hmm. You know, often that's over exaggerated in a lot of pagan circles and witch circles, you know, and, and, but in the case of Yule and Christmas, it's absolutely true. The Roman Saturnalia and the January Calends, which was their New Year's celebration, had a huge impact on how people still celebrate Christmas today. So I think it's great that you can like go to any store in the world and you'll see like evergreen branches. Oh, who are the first people to decorate with evergreen branches? Pagans, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, there's candles. Our church is having a candlelight service. Do you know who used candles in the darkness of winter? <laughs> right. Christians ever did? Oh, yeah, pagans in in ancient Rome and amongst uh, Scandinavia and other places. Uh, So really, like when I'm out and about, I'm just overwhelmed with how much magical bric-a-brac is available at Yule and how long these customs have survived. I mean, we're talking 2,000-plus years now, and people have tried to stamp them out over the years. Mm -hmm. The only real war about Christmas has ever been Christians trying to get rid of Christmas because they know what it is—a pagan holiday about gluttony and being drunk—and so they hate it. Uh, <laughs> but for whatever reason, it always endures, and it endures with all of these trappings that are genuinely, anciently, and ancient. You know, and I think that's great. And to me, going out when I see that, I find it invigorating. You know, like no one can squash magic as hard as they try to squash magic.
0: I love that you took it that way because I think for people just. And I want to say I use the word witchcraft loosely in this sense, like you mentioned, uh, just the practicing of magic. I should maybe redefine that. Um, to say we got a lot of people approaching magic, maybe even just since the pandemic of being, you know, in in the house. We've got TikTok. We've got all these different sources. There is. Conflict about what is quote too Christian for someone that's a a witch or an occult or pagan practitioner, um, we see those kind of feuds happen online. I'm so yeah. glad that you talk about like the evergreen and such coming into the home, and maybe you could speak a little bit on that so that people can find some footing in that way
1: it is it is really contentious so people like you know you know if you're If you're a pagan and a witch, how dare you ever do anything with Christmas, you know? And then, you know, then there are, you know, Christians who are, you know, horrified that their friends are doing things which date back to ancient paganism. You know, every holiday is a mixture of ancient pagan ideas, uh, Christian ideas. We live in a dominant Christian culture. It's hard to escape from. And secular ideas. Most of the ideas that aren't pagan within Christmas are probably secular or arose independently from Christian tradition. And really one of those is the use of evergreens. I mean, that was something the Norse used. It was something Romans used. Mm -hmm. They didn't decorate with entire trees necessarily, but they put the branches up in their homes. They put wreaths on their doors. Part of that is probably because there aren't a whole lot of green plants in December in Europe, (laughs) right? I mean, that's the same reason that people decorate with holly and they decorate with mistletoe. That's what's green at the time. Uh, So people want to bring that life back into their lives, you know, there's the old magical idea of like attracts like. That's why you decorate with green, so that you can get back to green. You know, you celebrate the abundance of food that is usually around in December, um, and but you're also celebrating the eventual rebirth of life. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of just rambling now because all the stuff gets me. So I love it. So, this is what so I want to hear. So excited <laughs> yes. about the whole season, uh, but yeah, it's. You know, and people get, like, so angry about some of it. And, you know, just if it speaks to you, use it. You know, my grandparents used it. I should be able to do it, too. I love Uh that. Yeah. You know, I mean, we we have an activity set up at our house right now for the holidays. I mean, do my three wise men look like they're giant trees growing up out of the earth. Absolutely. Cause I'm weird like that. And <laughs> I want like a more pagan nativity scene, but I still have it up in the house.
2: Well, I mean, that's something that I have heard Christians and pagans fight over between the birth of Jesus and the birth of the Holly King and the, all of that. And who's right and who's wrong. And at the end of the day, I think it's, whatever you're comfortable with. And I really like the idea of having kind of even a pagan nativity scene where, you know, maybe it is the birth of the holy king over Jesus and, or maybe Jesus happens to be one of your deities, whatever works for you, that's your practice. But I absolutely love the idea of, you know, I think that if everybody kind of stopped and looked and has now realized that. It's not a war on Christmas versus pagans versus Christmas or Christmas versus Christianity or whatever. I think if we all just kind of stopped and realized it's all kind of one holiday now and it's a mixture of it and we all have different ties to it, but at the same time, it is still a mixture because we've made it that way and we could still celebrate it that way.
1: Yeah, I think very consciously we sort of made it that way. I mean, if you Especially in the medieval era era, Christianity (laughs) is not a religion of joy in any way. (laughs) Pretty austere, unless, you know, maybe you were rich or something, but there was something about the holidays and keeping those pagan traditions which were fun and joyful and it gave people something to look forward to throughout the whole year. When it comes to the nativity scenes though, you know, when I was growing up as a baby witchling, our Yule rituals most commonly were about the rebirth of the sun god. Right. Mm-hmm. That was one of the big things like, you know, on the solstice, the goddess makes a, you know, a, a solar baby. And then, you know, he grows throughout the year. And you have this <laughs> whole wheel of the year myth. I'm trying harder to get away from that as I get older. But I always like the I always like that kind of story. Right. And when I see nativity scenes, I just kind of see like my solar deity within that manger or whatever, you know, and being born the same time of year, you know, doing something that people consider mostly positive yeah, you know, it's, it's all good. There's just so many similarities in almost every story or decoration that's put up at Yule between, you know, whether it's Christian or pagan.
2: Mm-hmm. I think that's a really great way for um, anybody who's going forward, if it, especially if you're coming from possibly a Christian background and you're wanting to dip more into the magical background, You can start to see that there are similarities and that you don't have to feel that heavy judgment that comes with going, well, should I follow the Christian tradition or should I follow the pagan tradition? Follow both, in my opinion, whatever is more comfortable for you.
1: (laughs) I, I grew up loving Christmas. That was like my favorite time of year as a kid. I loved, you know, obviously I liked getting stuff. I wanted, you know, there's <laughs> yeah. a full bookshelf behind me. I obviously like some things, you know, so that was always fun. But I also just liked kind of the energy of the season. And it's that one time of year where you're kind of told to believe in magic. I mean, mm-hmm. what is Santa Claus, if not a magical being? And when I became a practicing witch, I was worried about that, you know. like, Do I have to give up all of this stuff that I grew up loving for 21 years? You know, is being a witch, am I just limited to Holly and Oak King stories on the winter solstice, or can I do other things? And then, you know, lo and behold, you research the holiday, and you see all these traditions that very much come from pagan antiquity, and to me are as magical as anything else I do the rest of the year. So I was al- I was always really happy that I got to bring all of that stuff with me as a witch <laughs> yeah. from my childhood. And, you know, even even if I hadn't, you know, even if it like had been invented in the year 1700 or whatever else, who really cares? If it if it resonates with you, I think it's fair to use, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, which is do what works. And a lot of that yuletide cheer works for me, you know, especially after last year, I need it now more than ever.
2: Oh, yes, <laughs> I understand that.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, the, the last year was one, uh, probably my lowest point of uh, Christmas season celebration. I'll put it that way. Because Jason, I, I ring true with what you said there. Uh, grew up in a Christian sort of household. Not strong practitioners, my my parents. But uh, I, I love the, the celebration of the season, that energy. Like you said, we're told to believe in magic. And as I'm putting together my first Yule altar this year, eh, maybe that's a little bit of a, a faulty wording. Last year, I had a tiny one, but not of this scope or scale. This one, I'm looking at old ornaments and things around the house and I'm, I'm, I'm incorporating more and more staying above that kind of argumentative war of what's what's theirs what's ours it's if it meant something to me as a kid that is it, if it channels in that correct energy for me what I want it to then bring it on board let's have some of it got some nice pine cones out uh, got some nice little candles going I'm starting to feel the yule season this year and I got to get my my tree up it's my multi-purpose yule Christmas tree and I need to finally unbox that.
1: You know, what's most important is what's yours, right? Yeah. Like what works for you at this time of year? And c- Christmas is hard to escape culturally mm-hmm. too. I mean, it is a, it's a national holiday in the United States. Pretty much everything is closed. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't celebrate Christmas, it's likely uh, that somebody in your extended family does somewhere along the road. You know, I mean, at our house, we do several nights of Yule. We have a couple covens, so we're doing Yule with the coven, but our families all celebrate Christmas. So we, you know, we open presents on the 25th. What else are we going to do? There's nothing else to do. Yeah, Might as well go ahead. And most of the trappings about Christmas have nothing to do with Christianity or Jesus. I mean, Rudolph is not an allegory uh, for Jesus, right? I mean, it's just a fanciful story. And, you know, it's, that, to that I think, is more important to most people when it comes to Christmas than anything that's religious. And my family, while we celebrated Christmas, we weren't particularly religious about it. Never went to church on Christmas Day. That was sacrilege as a Methodist. Everybody wanted to be home, unwrapping presents. Right. Yes. <laughs> my wife, though, is, is an ex-Catholic. And she'll tell you it's very different as a Catholic, though. That, like, she probably had to go to church twice on Christmas Day. Oh, gosh. Mhm. Yeah, that's why she's not a Catholic anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, when I was raised Christian, uh, we went to church on Christmas Eve. We had the Christmas Eve candlelight service, uh, which... I always knew was great because it was an hour. Then we got to go home, have dinner. And then we opened our presents on Christmas Eve. We never, we were one of those families that did it weird. We never did them on Christmas day. Um, Christmas day was for Christmas dinner and playing with the new presents, whatever they may be.
1: (laughs) As you know, we did go to Christmas Eve services sometimes. And even as a witch, when I lived in Michigan, I've only lived in California for the last 10 years. My wife and I would sometimes go to Christmas Eve services at, at old churches. Just because they're singing songs that we know, that Mm -hmm. we grew up with, Mm -hmm. which are less dirge-like than most hymns, which is nice. And, you know, all they're doing is usually lighting candles in the darkness, which to me seems like a very pagan thing to do. So I always liked those sort of ceremonies. You know, it was nice. You know, it's I didn't go for any great religious belief. It was just something to kind of do that night. Mm -hmm. Now we just go to our local Irish pub instead. Um, It's... (laughs) It's a spirituality of a different nature.
2: I like it. I like it a lot.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. My. I have one question for you. Uh, what is your kind of go-to Christmas decoration? Is it like a Yule log, a tree? Uh, do you have a specific ornament that really encapsulates the season for you? Do you have something that's really specific to like... When you get it out of the box, you're like, yes, it is finally the season. That's, a good one.
1: That's good. There's a lot of, there's a lot of them. You know, one of the things I love, and I just set up most of our Christmas Yule Tide decorations over the weekend. One of the things I love about them is, is that they all kind of bring back so many memories. You know, like mm-hmm. I know where I was when I got this thing and they all stir so many different feelings. We have a Yule log that my wife made, uh, I think even before we were married. It's, you know, it has candles in it and we put it up on our fireplace mantle. That one's one of my favorites. We found a Santa Claus carrying wine and with grapes decorating his suit, And we love that one because to me, like Dionysus has always been the real reason for the season. So yes. seeing Dionysus sort of mixed with Santa Claus really appeals to me. There's a little stuffed bear that I got years ago with a Christmas hat on and holding a present. And it's not really the cutest stuffy in the world, but I got it around the holidays. So it always goes up on the fireplace mantle. And, you know, I feel bad for it because I hide that stuffy. Like Toy Story has ruined me when it comes to toys, right? I mean, <laughs> we're all sentient and living in your house. Um, but, you know, when I when I I feel bad for that stuffy because it's living in a box in my basement for 11 months. But when I get it out, you know, to me, that really feels like the Yuletide season is here. You know, there are a couple of other things, you know, lights, different ornaments. You know, the ornaments that we put on a tree are the story of our lives in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have ornaments that are 30 years old. I think my wife has one that she got when she was three. I won't tell you how old that ornament <laughs> is <she> got <laughs> at a very young age. And then we also see the ornaments that we've gotten together over the 25 years that we've been uh, living together. So, Yeah, I love that. I mean, we don't decorate our house weirdly Mm -hmm. any other time of year, really, other than Yule. I mean, there are things that I do for Samhain and Halloween season, of course, but, you know, I don't bring in a live tree that somebody has cut down and put it in my living room, right? I don't hang stockings by the chimney any other time of year. Uh, Yule, it really kind of, you know, checks some boxes that we don't really check the rest of the year. It's, kind of this nostalgic, festive time. And I think that nostalgia and that festivity comes out in how we decorate and what sort of resonates with us that we decorate with from over the decades. I
0: really love the idea of how you compare the tree to, it's almost like a timeline of your life. And I I was just noticing that with my altar even that I had just been... uh... I would set up an altar space from probably August, September, and ran it until now. And just the other day, I think it was right after Thanksgiving, I pulled it down, took all the pieces off, and I looked at it and I thought one of my favorite things about doing a seasonal altar is just being able to reflect over the past three months alone and see how many little knickknacks I added because it was sentimental one day. And to think of the tree is a very similar thing. And I'm going to put one up next to my altar, and it's going to be really cool, I think, to see how those two timelines blend together the short term of the altar mixed with a more lifetime sort of uh, just timeline of a tree. I think that's really cool to think about.
1: Our fireplace mantle is an altar in our house. We do magic on the fireplace mantle, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it often has pictures. It often has statues of deities on it that change throughout the year. I mean, it, in the fall, Demeter comes up and she adds pride of place there, but You know, at the same time, like when I put the Yuletide decorations on there, that's a form of magic in and of itself. It's a different kind of magic. It's a little different than how we usually are. But you know, we also keep our Dionysus and Aphrodite shrines up in our living room because you know, what what is the holiday season if not a season of love? Mm -hmm. And what Mm -hmm. is the holiday season if not a season of joy? And to some degree, excess has traditionally been associated with the season, whether that excess is gift giving or eating or drinking or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, so to us, our pagan deities, you know, certainly have a huge role to play in, <laughs> in tide. even if sometimes their statues get moved around a little bit from where they usually are.
2: I think that's still an absolutely wonderful thing because in our household, especially last year, last year didn't feel like Christmas should even really be celebrated. It was a bad year last year, but this year, we actually decided to get a brand new tree because our tree was in need of being replaced because um, we use plastic trees versus real ones because I don't want to buy a real one every year or cut one down. Um, and the we decided that we were going to actually change up how we decorated because before our decorations were kind of a little bit of, you know, mix and match of, you know, some cheap ornaments, some stuff that we had collected over the years, but it was also something that wasn't really personal to us. It was mm-hmm. just because, you know, that's what you did. And so this year when we got our decorations, we had a whole bunch of decorations for the kids and they're going to paint them. And, uh, we got some others that we actually found some antlers in the woods and we're going to mm-hmm. turn those into, uh, ornaments as well so we decided that we wanted something that really fit more of our family instead of just going through the motions because I think a lot of times during the Christmas holiday it's like oh I just want my tree to be sparkly and pretty and for pictures but I think a lot of times sometimes we also miss out on like you guys are saying of making it personal and making it a story of your life and so that's really an awesome way to look at it and uh I I think that that's probably a tradition that we're going to be starting in our home too.
1: You know, I have friends, I go to their house and their house is like perfectly decorated for the holidays, you know, like everything matches, you know, they use like the same sort of ornament or decoration in three or four rooms, you know, everything is stunning. It looks like a Hollywood set or something. And my house is just like, oh, you'll just threw up in your living room, you know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> here's all this weird shit. You know, here's here's this $2 nutcracker you bought from Big Lots, you know, 15 <laughs> or 18 years ago. But you know what? I've had it for 18 years. Yeah. That damn thing goes up. I have, like, this stupid Christmas tree that was, like, just the, the top of a candle. Like, it was the lid. Mm-hmm. But I always thought the lid was pretty. So I just keep it. And I put it up every year regardless because it's something that I've been doing for 20 years. And even some of the dumb stuff that we don't put up anymore, I refuse to throw away because just going through the boxes like brings up those memories, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm, I don't have any real children, but I have cat children and then all of our cats have gotten stockings over the years. And, you know, like cats don't live forever. Nobody lives forever, but you know, I have the stockings of my deceased old cat, but I can't throw it away. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I see it. It just makes me sad, but It also makes me happy for the time I got to spend with her and all that. You know, I love my mismatched hodgepodge of Yuletide crap. It's, it makes me (laughs) extremely happy.
0: I like that. You You said that Jason, that, that the hodgepodge is what's important too. I feel like that's me with my Halloween stuff in particular, though my Christmas selection, my Yule selection follows that like you pointed out that that candle topper, it's the silly stuff that really brings in the season to you, whatever, Whatever made it through that holiday season, however many years ago, and it could be something mass produced and it can be plastic or whatever. But if it's stuck with you for about 20 or so years, it in itself is, it is the uh, symbol of the season for you. And that that Mm -hmm. makes me really reevaluate some of my stuff too. I know I've been going through this house I'm in now looking through it and seeing so many pieces like, should I part with this? Does it have sentimental value? And if it checks that box that it does, it's been making its way closer and closer to the altar lately.
1: I have this I have the same thing for salad, though. I mean, we mm-hmm. have a bunch of Halloween Halloween stuff oh, that's yeah. practically worthless, but I can't help but put it up. You know, sometimes <laughs> my wife's like, why are you putting that up? I don't know, because we've put it up for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> Not made out of stone, you know.
2: I absolutely love that. I think our, our decorating season starts in like September and Maybe ends in like February when I put everything away. Um, that that is definitely the thing. It starts with salad, and it then ends through yule um you know the only time we didn't really participate in that was last year and that was because of the pandemic and yeah. everything but it's, it's definitely um coming back and this year we went all out for saloon and i think we're gonna probably go all out for yule again i just got to let my tree get here my tree is like three days late in the mail <laughs> Our,
1: where we live like we had everything closed um before thanksgiving last year because of covid like you couldn't mm-hmm. go to any restaurants, couldn't even sit outside, you know, and live in California. We can sit outside pretty much year round. You know, there was no public gatherings of people. Obviously, that meant, you know, we weren't going to have people over for the holidays or anything. You know, no coming rituals unless they were online. It was like really, really depressing because to me, mm-hmm. one of the things about Tide and traditionally, whether you're celebrating the January Calends or the Roman Saturnalia, or the Norse Yule, or even Christmas, whatever it was, it was really a time for people to come together. It was a time for parties and it was time for socializing. And, you know, to me to have that taken away was the roughest part of the Mm -hmm. whole holiday season. On Christmas Eve, I went and saw one of my friends in an alleyway and we did a shot of whiskey together illegally, you know, making sure no cops found us, you know, within six feet of each other. You know, it was just (laughs) such a strange year. Uh, it
2: was. Don't ever it want to absolutely do that again.
1: was.
0: No, no repeats, please, and thank you. That that was Damn. awful. I I think for that reason alone, I'm going to force myself to do the tree here soon. I was asking my, my I was talking the other day, is thinking, should I. Get this up. Should I embrace that energy taking a year off? And and I need it. I'm coming back together and I'm doing it. And that's a lot of the reason we wanted to have you by today, Jason, was to talk about your book, get into that energy of the season with you. So I, I know this is absolutely thrilling me. We are working with a little witchy group of our own, a little magical practitioner group that we meet up with on Wednesday nights. And we are going to be putting on a little Yule party of our own. And so this book, I know, has been guiding me. It's been guiding Pagan. And I think a lot of mm-hmm. our people have been enjoying it for that that just coming together vibe. We need more of that. We need our communities. Like you were just saying, Jason, we need those, those coming together moments where we can all bask in the joy of our weirdness and our awesomeness.
1: Yule is kind of a weird holiday in that, you know, the quiet of winter the darkness of winter. I mean, it is really a time for personal reflection Mm -hmm. and sometimes for going inward. But at the same time, it is the most joyous time of the year. I mean, there's New Year's Eve parties, office Christmas parties. You know, people have holiday parties and always have. And, you know, for a lot of us, it's a time that we saw our family. So it sort of straddles this line of being an introspective personal holiday while also being this gigantic joy-filled time to be hanging out with other people. And um, that's one of the other reasons is probably my favorite of the sabbats is because you can get out of it whatever you need to get out of it, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, in my solitary work, I have those sort of quiet, the sun, the, you know, the sun is reborn kind of rituals deep into the night of the winter solstice. And then with the coven, you know, I make them pretend that we're in the middle of some sort of Renaissance Christmas party where we're all drinking wassel, you know, and partying heavily and having a great time so uh, you know this season encompasses so many different emotions and ways of celebrating
2: that is amazing i i I think that would be a fun you know thing to even if we you had to do it virtually because you know the world is still in its wonderful states of covid um but i think that that would be such a fun thing to do to you know do the whole winter festival renaissance party i think that would be a spectacular thing to experience um but no i absolutely love that too because um during this time of year one of my favorite meditations is actually a meditation to go in and um celebrate the quiet of snow uh i grew up in the rocky mountains so i was used to snow and you know wonder if getting to experience that beauty and the quiet that comes with a snowstorm is something that I can only find during this time of year. Mm -hmm. And I can only tap into that this time of year. I can't do it any other time, but I absolutely love that time that we get to, you know, withdraw inward. Uh, But yeah, equally, I also enjoyed the time of festivities and baking and cooking and partying and having a good time It's kind of getting to see both sides of the coin this time of year, which is really wonderful.
1: The quiet is a very real thing. When I lived in Michigan, where we got a lot of snow, uh, you know, there was even just walking home from work at 4 p.m., you know, Mm -hmm. the sun was already halfway down in the sky by mid December. And every, you know, sound travels so much differently when the air is cold,
2: Mm -hmm. right? Like you can
1: do a train two miles away, you know, you can hear a bird. That's squawking, but at the same time, you know, there's no insects making noise. Most of the birds are gone away. If you go out walking on a night like Christmas Eve after 8 PM, there's hardly anybody driving. Right. I mean, it is absolutely still and silent. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Especially, you know, if you live in a town, it's very rarely, very rarely that quiet. And that stillness and beauty and awe of winter, you know, really touches me at those moments. But then again, you know. You're talking about like doing the big Renaissance party thing. You know, for me, one of the things I love about the season is how many of the traditions probably date back to the Roman Saturnalia and Wassel is one of those traditions. Mm-hmm. So for me, like our coven, our rituals are often about Wassel at Yule and have like 15 or 18 ingredients all lined up. And we put them in our Wassel, you know, in order to bring different energies into our lives in the coming year. You know, like vanilla for sweetness, throw some rum in there for a little bit of adventure, that kind of thing. <laughs> I love, You know, and then we all, you know, toast and salute to our good health or whatever it is. I love that kind of thing, you know, and Wassel was really this subversive way of dealing with rich people back in the day. I think today when we talk about Wassel, most people think of it as something like going Christmas caroling, right? Here mm-hmm. we go Wasseling. And really, Wassel was you went door to door as a poor person and you went to people who were very rich or nobility, especially, and you asked them for good food and good drink. And if they didn't give it to you, well, you probably vandalized their home. And that's really (laughs) Wassel. That's where the tradition comes from. You know, sometimes the people would bring really bad booze with them and exchange bad booze for great booze or whatever it is, but it was really about subverting the social order. So there's also something really sort of transgressive about the Yuletide season that I really love.
2: That's Most people awesome. don't
1: know about that part of it, you know? No, no I actually no. didn't
2: know that either.
1: <laughs> this is me just rambling about Yule. I told you I could do this for a long time. Yeah. I,
2: ramble away. We enjoy it. This has been wonderful so far.
1: <laughs> also, you know, you also talk about how that kind of change in energy happens in mm-hmm. September. Right. You know, we decorate for Halloween and Samhain too, but all of those holidays are really interconnected in a lot of ways. Cause if Wassel sounds a lot like trick or treat, yes. it's, not co- it's not a coincidence. It's just that we didn't know where to put Wassel traditions in the United States. So we sort of, you know, inserted them into Halloween, you know, but it's the same basic thing, you know, give me stuff and I won't hurt your stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and- <laughs> And there are also still like really great decor like dressing up traditions that are associated with Yuletide holidays that mm-hmm. we don't think about very often anymore. Today we associate, you know, oh I'm going to wear a costume with Halloween, but people used to do that at Thanksgiving up until like the 1920s in New York City. Yeah. And in Newfoundland, um, in Canada, they still like go door to door as mummers on I think Christmas Eve or Christmas Day and they wear these horrifying like costumes Like, you know, like these homemade costumes with like a pillowcase for a sheet, like for a a mask. And they go door to door and you have to guess who this person is who comes to your house because they're most likely one of your neighbors. And you get to ask them questions, but the people will, you know, pretend that they don't like they won't answer you with their real voice. You know, you know, are you Doug next door? Of course, I'm not. You know, (laughs) they'll talk like that. And, you know, and (laughs) like go and look up. Like their costumes, it's horrifying, you know, but it's so cool because it's this old, really old tradition that dates back for centuries and centuries. And people are still doing it in isolated parts of the world. And in Philadelphia, the largest mummers parade in the world takes place oh, on January 6th, wow. which is, again, you know, an old holiday tradition that comes from the Roman Saturnalia. So, yeah, I mean, oh, this is the best time of year. Oh, my God. This is the best time of year. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I now you. It. Now you all are getting me very excited. So. I
2: love it so much. I didn't know that either, but that, that's so cool. You came here and taught us some really awesome things. Uh, but that's a very interesting thing when you were talking about the the tradition of uh, Wassel with uh, Saturnalia. I, I instantly thought of trick or treating, and yeah. you know, if you didn't give good candy, your house was going to get egged in toilet paper. Right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah,
1: that's cool. really They're interesting about that stuff. You know, I mean. I mean we used to, when I was a kid, we used to roll people like we would call it TPing or rolling somebody's house, you know, if they didn't mm-hmm. give up candy. Yeah. I think it's I think it's a great tradition. If you're not gonna play along, you're gonna be punished. <laughs> you're gonna be punished.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is the spirit. Yeah. Uh, this episode has just absolutely been amazing. And and Jason, we're gonna have to have you back on the show to ask more questions to get, dive deeper into these. Um but but in lieu of time for tonight, I wanna ask where should people get involved with your work? We've got these two great books. You've got a new one on the way. What should people be keeping their eyes open for?
1: I am bad at social media. Like, I didn't know that if I was going to be an author, I'd have to manage social media pages. But of course, you know, I have an Instagram account and I have like a Facebook account because I'm an old person. (laughs) And I have a Twitter account, you know. I mean, I'm pretty much everywhere. I even have a TikTok account, though I don't make nearly enough videos according to some of my TikTok friends. Oh. Uh, you know, I'm around everywhere. Um yeah. I have a Patreon that starts at $2, which often has like a lot of my old embarrassing work from 20 years ago. So, if you like my writing, you can hang out with me there. Uh, yeah. So I try to be try to be everywhere, even if I'm not particularly good at it. Um, I'm a very slow writer, though. So, like, writing takes up a lot of my time. You're a very
2: good writer. I was (laughs) going to say that's the important
1: thing. Great body of work,
0: awesome pieces. So, it shows. You know,
1: as as I said, you know, I try to be not awful and I'm like my own worst critic. You know, I struggle with every sentence until it makes me not want to throw up anymore. So, that's really good, you know?
0: That's a massive part of it. That is yeah. huge. Well, Jason, thank you for taking your time tonight to, to come on here to chat with us to introduce yourself to the Chaos and Shadow audience. Um, we are are just super awesome, super happy to have these books in our hands. So thank you to Llewellyn for sending them. Uh, you got that moon mark on there, Jason. Like you said, you got you got the moon. You wanted it on books, and now it's on two of these ones right here. So new one on March eighth. That looked like. We're going yes. to have links. I want to remind the people about the Witch's Book of Spellcraft. I want to give them a little teaser of what they should be expecting in there.
1: Oh, so I not only did I write this book, but I also kind of wrote it with three members of my coven, including my wife, who are much better at spells than I did. So it's got a lot of different sort of magical ideas in it, but it's sort of a book that explains how different magical techniques work. You know, like, you know, sometimes you read things like, put a stone in the bag and then you'll get what you want. Mm -hmm. Well, why does that work? You know, how does the stone's energy different from differ from the energy of an oil or an incense? So it kind of gets deep into that kind of idea. There are also over 100 different spells in the book uh, scattered throughout with a lot of extra, like some friends of ours who uh, decided to like submit some spells to our book, which is nice. So there's a lot of different witch perspectives in this particular book again, you know, it's one of those things that I've always wanted, you know, these, this answers things that I wish I had had answers to 20, 30 years ago. And it, you know, talks about all the major disciplines that are used by most witches, whether that's crystals or herbs or incenses or candles, it's all somewhere in this book. I'm really, really happy with how it turned out. I'm very excited to to see it out in the world. Hopefully in March supply chain issues though, (laughs) Yes.
0: <laughs> Who We've knows? we know. been hearing that from all of our friends. So to everyone out there, mark your calendars. It is it is up there for pre-order as of now for March 8th, 2022. But bear with us, everyone. The world is weird. Shipping is weird. Bear with your small business shippers as they deal with USPS and beyond. So uh Mm -hmm. add it to your list get it in your carts jason thank you again for taking this time i mean this is really really awesome that book is going on my list these two we're gonna have linked for everybody horn god of the witches and *Llewellyn's little book of yule so jason we will let you go for the night you be super super safe out there and we'll look forward to chatting with you again probably timed to that book release if it sounds like a plan to you
1: this has been so much fun i feel like i'm just getting warmed up like Ah. we haven't even (laughs) got (laughs) Krampus. Uh, but yes, uh, absolutely. Anytime that you want to hang out, I'm down.
0: Excellent. Oh, I love to hear that. I, I, I'm sorry that we got you onto the, we just got you warmed up and we're letting you out the door. But uh, this that's the fun thing about chatting with friends. An hour goes by in a blink of an eye and then-
2: <laughs> Yes, it does.
0: Make it happen again. Okay, Jason, Pagan, you all have a beautiful, beautiful evening to everyone out there. Stay safe. Out. We will catch you soon on Chaos and Shadow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. To everyone out there at home, I am just concluding this little episode here. This is uh, one of the first times concluding a live interview while, while staying live like this. And to the people at home listening to this is the podcast player, thank you. Thank you so, so much for being a Chaos and Shadow listener, subscriber, supporter. If you want to continue helping this show out, the best way to do it Become a founder member up on the website. We send out goodies every month. If you're watching this live on YouTube, you are seeing a preview of what's going to be mailed out in February. This is a gorgeous rose soap handmade uh, that will be going out in a package of goodies, including a new scout badge style thing we're doing in 2022. So come earn your paranormal and occult scout badges with us. Going to be an absolute blast. Can't wait to get into that. Massive thank you to Jason for coming by tonight. Check out those books. We'll have them linked up on the blog, revelatornetwork.com. Uh, thank you to our friends at Llewellyn who sent us these books and many, many more amazing things for us to review, preview, and tease. I'm trying to think if there's other things that I want to put on your agendas. Uh, just keep in mind that for the entire month of December, we are meeting every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Twitch. These times might change here and there if we need to, if it has to happen. But 7 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesdays and on Saturdays, that'll be going all month. There is a calendar piece up on the blog already. It was published, uh, I want to say, right before Thanksgiving. So November like 20th, I want to say, somewhere in that window. That's got the dates for December. Check those out. If you want to get that uh, Yule kit, you can buy that off of the store up there. That's going to be tied into our December Saturday Seance session. So if you want to get some candles, want to get some cool extra little bonus handmade things by me, go check that out. Again, wonderful ways to support. Check out the store. Check out the membership program. And we will talk to you all very, very soon. Like I said earlier, stay safe out there. We'll catch you in the next episode. Bye-bye.